We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat. Greetings everyone, welcome to Salt Ships and Scuttlebutt, a World of Warships podcast. We're up to episode 15. Um, I've got Captain Green back here with me. Greetings to you, Captain Greeny. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. I had a wonderful day today of 10 hours of yard work that was supposed to be two hours of yard work. It was incredible. So, lovely day for me. How how did you get to be so slack in the yard that a two hour job turned into ten hours? Um, it was so I I I'm in school right now, uh, so I do landscaping on the weekends. And my boss said it was a quick reseeding job. And typically, what that means is we'll prep an area, and then you know we'll we'll put down grass seed. But unfortunately, a quick reseeding job meant somebody's entire backyard and a good portion of their front yard. So. Someone can't estimate well. Well, glad no, to have you here. And you also sacrificed your beautiful time to help run the spring championships. Thank you for your efforts there as well, sir. Oh, not a problem. It's a joy. That's why I do it. Now, I do believe, Greeny, you've got a bit of an announcement for those that are used to our um, uh, every second week podcast. Yes. Um, during the off season of clan battles, because Grief and I are both uh, heavily involved in clan battles we plan to move the podcast up to a weekly release um so yeah those of you who anticipate the podcast or are waiting on the edge of your seat you no longer have to wait <laughs> two weeks of fortnight uh, even, actually... even in clan battles I'll, we'll try and keep it going weekly where we can oh. oh definitely i i have underlings that i can make do a lot of the clan battles things but um yeah so we're gonna we're gonna ramp up production here which is good. That is awesome. And we are joined by a special guest this week. Greetings to our special guest, Asgard. How are you doing, sir? Hello, hello. I am, I am tired and slightly inebriated because inebriated. Uh, after our cast, we went, to, uh, we went to go play a little ping pong. So I had myself a Jaeger bomb. And uh, on the way here, I figured, well, I mean, I only had the Jaeger bomb because I wanted to make sure I could drive safely. And screw it. I went ahead and got like a... A little something extra for me coming home. I don't drink very much, so I, I hope I hope I'll be okay. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Some of our guests have drunk quite a bit um, on the podcast before. I'm, I'm going to ask completely of the blue. What is your personal favorite drink of choice? Uh, so I actually avoided drinking for a long time because I know I I have addictive tendencies. If I like something, I like it a lot, which Fair is why enough. I play the crap out of Wow's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started drinking when I was 25 and I don't, I don't drink too much. Uh, but I ended up starting with actually like liquor, liquor, yeah. like, uh, uh, scotch, I think is what it was. I tried beer after and it's, Oh, I can't, I can't do this. Um, so I, it's, I've done a few liquors, but there was an ex-girlfriend of mine that, uh, she ended up showing me what a Jaeger bomb was and we blew through like an entire bottle of Jaeger and it was like <laughs> drinking Skittles. That that was pretty amazing. So Jaeger bomb, it's got a good history to it, sentimental value, and also yeah. Long Island iced tea. Oh, um, you're yes, yes, yes. You you are a man yesterday. of culture. Hey, <laughs> Long Islands are are very very nice. 
I, I myself, I've been having a lot of ciders recently, but a Long Island iced tea, I don't think can ever go wrong. And for those that haven't tried a Long Island iced tea, make sure you're over 18 and there is no tea in a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> Actually, it's 21 over there. It's 18 here. At least we have one thing yeah. up on you. We can drink at 18. Yeah, we're, we're age appropriate for, for <laughs> listeners correct, all across correct, the world. We're age appropriate. So what what actually got you into World of Warships, Askans? Uh, the first time I ever touched the game, I was playing EVE Online. And uh, the group I was playing with got invited to like try it out in beta or try it out in early release or whatever. You know, you know, sailed around, shot my shells, hit other ships. Okay. Mostly I, I had the sense that like, this is kind of calm and it's pretty. But I played like two hours and uninstalled the game. Um, came back because I remembered like, man, I just want something calm. So I tried it again. Eh, played a few ships. Uninstalled the game. And uh, my friend, I did get to a carrier. I played a carrier a little bit in like just the really basic tier four one. And then like I started to learn about manual drops because I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I did some research. And then... Like two days later, there was a patch that removed manual drops from lower tiers because I guess people were, you know, seal clubbing or whatever. And it just felt awkward going like, well, it was more accurate and now it's not. Eh, whatever. And I uninstalled the game. Like I wasn't super connected. Well, time goes by and my best friend, uh, he grew up with a love of World War II. Uh, a deep, deep passion uh, because his father idolized the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, his father couldn't fly, so he wanted to join the military, wanted to, you know, follow in their footsteps, but he had an inner ear problem. So he became an engineer and passed a love of all things military onto his son. And, uh, his son, Tuskegee Airman, you know, has a love of planes. And he's like, Hey, you know, did you ever play world of warships? Yeah. I, I tried it a long time. Yeah. They just, they like, they just redid the carrier stuff. You got to see it. It's cool. Okay. So he showed it to me. It looked neat. So I'd had good experiences before. I just didn't really bite into the game. Downloaded it. And uh, I think I had a Langley. So uh, <laughs> I tried it after the reworked version. I, I came in like a, a little after the April Fool's event 2019. And I only know of, there was an April Fool's event because it was still in the armory. But like you didn't get access to the tokens or whatever anymore. And then I, I played. And I just played in co-op. But like I kept playing day after day after day after day after day. And I think I got to tier 10 in like two weeks, mostly grinding in co-op just for hours. Um, somewhere halfway through the Lexington grind when I completely ran out of like the camos that I had as a new player. Um, you I went into randoms. Camos? No, I didn't buy anything. I was free to play. Yep. Um, uh, but I, uh, no, I, I got premium account. I did that. Because like I had played tanks a little bit. Uh, I sucked at tanks and uh, I did get like a premium account if I was going to play a lot because it just made sense. So I bought a little premium account as, for that as well. And uh, I got halfway through the Lexington, went into random battles. I was that noob that like, oh no, the enemy CV is going to attack my friend. And I would chase him around and drop fighters on him. And because and, I, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just stuck, man, for months. 
gets you a bit like that. But you mentioned Eve, and I know my, my previous co-host Bex came from Eve. It seems that mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of crossover between Eve players and World of Warships. A lot, a lot of listeners and players I play with um, were massive Eve players before they came to Wales. You know, there's a really good synergy between what Eve gives and what WoWs gives. Um, do you know what that is? Um, a headache? No. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> it's attrition-based gameplay. So, like, I, for most of my life, I've been a PvE player. I, I mean, yeah, I like going against other people. I went to, like, a Halo tournament. Uh, I was one step away from going to, like, Microsoft for the final part of a national Halo championship or whatever. Uh, so it's like playing against people's cool, but in general playing games, like I grew up playing, you know, final fantasy and stuff. That's all PVE. Yep. So when I played world of Warcraft, I didn't mess with the PVE cause it's hard enough to grind. I don't need additional, you know, pain in the butt. And I got into Eve one day and it was a totally different world. The thought that you could spend 40, 50 hours doing something and then just have somebody come in and wreck your sandcastle, and now it's gone, and it's gone forever. That's totally just not where I came from. And there's a lot of brotherhood that shows up in that. There's a lot of like understanding that when your ship is damaged, it's damaged. Yes, there's a process of repair or getting the hell out, but like you don't just, you know, well, my ship blew up. I'll just go out and it'll respawn for me. And when you go, when you cross over into World of Warships, the damage that happens sticks. Yeah, there might be a repair consumable or whatever, but like the attrition, the actual sense of loss through the through the match and the unforgiving nature of that loss. The the team, the enemy team is not there to help you. They want to murder your ship in as hilarious a way as possible so they can make YouTube clips out of your death. <laughs> like it, it's synonymous to even that way. There, there's a mercilessness uh to world of warships and that you want to just power clap the enemy enemy ship and they want to do the same thing to you i bet i can understand that i can actually relate with i I do i do like getting devastating strikes or just removing (laughs) I, i i enjoy removing other teams for me it's not about pr or damage for me it's about getting wins and lots of wins and that's what gives me fun in this game uh, for me, it's the company, so I can I can very much resonate with the with the camaraderie that you spoke mm. about. Um, like there, there's nothing better than coming home from a long day of work or class for me, and just going into the VC and having like nine hooligans do stupid things. It's a wonderful stress reliever, and it's one of the things that keeps me in the game. Yeah, man, absolutely. So I, I know you currently reside for work in Austin, Texas, but where where did you grow up originally in um, the United States? Uh, Atlanta. My folks were from the north, and uh, my mom followed a job, and uh, I happened to be the last one that you know popped out. So I happened to grow up in Atlanta when everybody else was born up north. Now you may know in Australia. Well, Greeny's not Australian, and he doesn't know that Matt Damon's from his locale area. But thank the Lord, I'm not Australian. (laughs) Oh, I wake up every day and like, please let me stay in Boston. Oh, this is great. So we say mate as a greeting. Being from Atlanta, do they have any local terms like oi or like that? Do you call anyone? A, a, do you have any local names or sayings that are different to the rest of the United States? Uh, sure. Hey, how are you? 
Hey, how are you? I don't know if that's well, different. <laughs> you no, know, no, you'd say that, but it actually is. So two things, and this is, a g- I don't want to take all your time. I mean, I'm your guest, so you can no, always tell okay. me to shut up. But uh, two things. One is a personal thing, and then the other was like an observation. So for me, personal thing, I, I have autism. I have Asperger's. Yep. So like there's some stuff that manages like right over my head. And it always weirded me out as a kid. People would ask like, how are you? And then they wouldn't, they wouldn't actually want to hear how you were. They, they didn't care. They just wanted you to tell them good <laughs> and ask them the same thing. How are you? And they could say good. And we could all move on with our lives because nobody cared. So it was bizarre in that sense. Um, and then I got into a French class that was talking about there was a tourist that came to the U.S. And somebody said like, hey, how are you? And the tourist was, oh, this is so nice. That's so great of you to ask. And they stopped and they were going to talk about their day as the person just kept walking. And they, what? This, they felt insulted. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, I'm not crazy. Uh, this, this saying doesn't make sense. Why are you asking if you don't give a shit? <laughs> well, when you go to other places like Boston <laughs> or New York or, or actually, honest to God, Austin, Texas, when you walk by somebody, there, there's other places where you don't say shit. It's like going into the restroom, you know, as a guy, you don't make eye contact. You yeah, no, wait no, in the line while you look at the wall, you know, or then you go over and you just, you know, you focus on the thing. And then you, the only time you can make eye contact is like if you're washing your hands and you're about to leave. <laughs> but like you walk on the sidewalk no, in Austin. Dog. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to look you in the eye. They just want to kind of like look vaguely off into space and pretend that, you know, you're not there. Whereas in the South, or at least in Atlanta, it, it occurred to me like the social dynamic of, hey, how are you? Is the equivalent of saying, I'm not a threat. Are you? And then the person <laughs> responds, I'm not a threat. Are you? We're good. And then like you just move in peace. Whereas everywhere else, you just get this like this silent tension as you're walking and they're walking and they're getting closer and you don't want to look at each other, but you're not sure he's not going to stab. It. Okay, cool. He's gone. Fuck this. And it's like, God, why don't you just say something like, not going to kill you. Oh, that's cool. And then you move on with life. Like you've, you've diffused the tension right there. You're yeah, making nah. my city I, I, seem I, like it. We're, we're all just automatas. We, we talk to each other. Yeah, <laughs> nah, talk, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be too. Australian. I'd rather be Australian. Uh, at least we, at least we <laughs> I, talk. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So, uh, also, <laughs> do you have any um, local foods or, or a recipe that's unique to Atlanta or your state that not many people would know about? Uh, Rice Krispies with milk. What? (laughs) Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. I don't think this is a thing. No, it's, well, it is actually a thing. There's, there's Kellogg's Rice Krispies and you can make them with milk. Or if you want the cheap version, you can get like the name brand and it's called Crisp Rice or something. But, uh, the only reason I say that is my best friend, uh, he has a deep and abiding love for food. He understands what spices mean. He watches the Food Network, and it's not some weird code. Uh, although it is actually fantastic to watch some shows on the Food Network. Um, anyway, we lived together briefly when we were moving out. He had like nothing, so I had some rice krispies. So I made him a bowl of rice krispies, and he looked at me after eating some and is, "This is not food. This is <laughs> nutrient soup." <laughs> so yeah, but it so tastes I don't, good. I don't know if. I don't know if Rice Krispies is actual food or if it's like nutrient soup for androids. And I just happen to, you know, that's my brand of fuel, uh, like fuel or something. So there you go. That's my fair enough special 
Atlanta Foo. I think we've got Rice so Krispies just, down here renamed something else. Sorry, Greeny. <laughs> so, no, I, I just wanted to add. So I Googled Rice Krispies and milk. Uh, the first thing that came up was Rice Can you microwave a Rice Krispie treat? So I <laughs> think that there might be a disconnect here. Do you mean like eating Rice Krispies with... Wait, do you mean the bars or the cereal? No, I mean you pour the cereal in a bowl and then you pour in milk and you I use thought a you spoon. meant the bars. Oh my although, goodness. although my ex was Romanian mm-hmm. and she boiled rice in milk. And that was like a breakfast food. Yeah, that, that, that's, I can that's, see that's, that. that's quite common in some Asian. It's like their porridge and they'll add others, yeah, that's, other, other meats and herbs. Or like and oatmeal or something. I, yeah. I can kind of see that. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't eat it and she got mad. <laughs> oh. oh well, oh well. But we, we do have a special question for you today, um, Ask Guns. We've got actually a um one of our listeners put in this question. So he's I'll I'll reword it, but his question was for him talking about submarines in general in and it's in live testing. Um, the core issue for him isn't the weapons or the counter via SWA. It's it's the spotting or the spotting mechanic systems. Um, they you keep changing or wargaming keep changing the core rules, um, but or, but they mainly do and they try and do this around weapons and interaction mechanics. But basically, he's asking that the submarine detection is the best in game, better than any other DD. But the counter to this detection isn't available. So if a ship is detected that has radar, the submarine dives and he knows what's rated, so he should know how long it takes to evade that. If a DD has hydro and pushes, the submarine dives deep. He can be hydroed, but if it's early game and he's backed up, that destroyer can literally be killed. Um, so And then the DD just has to come back up to periscope depth to spot once the DD's out of range. So if your DD isn't equipped with a hydro or your cruiser or a BB, how, how, do you, how does a player counter this detect um, other than just running away? I, I know it's situational and it, we, we can look at replays and um, it's a very situ- situational, but in a broad sense, because if, if you look at something like the Shimikaze, you, you know when you detect him, you get behind an island or you know his top ranges or what you have to do to maybe disengage or win an engagement with him. But how do you do that against a submarine? Well, talking just from a detection angle, uh, yeah, subs are in testing. And it's frustrating that it's in testing, um, not necessarily because, like, well, that means it's an unfinished product, but kind of because it means it's an unfinished product because it's in testing, uh, mostly because things can change on a dime. When you're testing uh, in the beginning, you're kind of looking for all the data. And then as you start really trying to zone in on what the problem points are, you zone in on this, you zone in on that, you zone in on selective data. And I mean, it, it's just constantly, you shift a little number here, you shift a little something there. Now you got to get more new data. Now you got to see more interactions. and. We have an extremely complex game. And like, if you see something like StarCraft, right? StarCraft can be, I'm not going to say infinitely variable, but it can be pretty widely variable. But you have a starting point. And from that starting point, you have time that it takes to do X, time that it takes to do Y, possibilities. And you can start to kind of chart out those possibilities. Same thing with chess. With our game, not only are there a myriad 
of different classes, or sorry, I should say types of ships. Uh, then there are variations within the types. Then there are sub-variations within those types based off of consumable options. Then there are sub-variations based on those, depending on upgrades and commander talents. We have something that is one giant rolling ball of chaos. And, you know, it started out probably fairly clean in terms of concept, but as more gets added and more gets added, just variation upon variation upon variation of type, you can find out, you know, you have a rough approximation of what a cruiser is going to need to be statted for so that it works in the mix, and then you can tweak it until it's correct. You can have a rough approximation for battleships, etc. Submarines being new, it's literally just, it's a, it's a new foundational concept. And that's super frustrating because, I mean, I could literally describe something today that could be invalidated two weeks from now. It's not insider knowledge. It's just like, that's the problem with talking about stuff when it's in testing. But let's talk about the way that it is right now. So every class has a little bit of like a fantasy to it, a little bit of a role play aspect. Um and because of that, submarines, I mean, what are you role-playing? You're role-playing having stealth. So stealth is an important aspect of the class. How that stealth ultimately gets expressed in terms of game mechanics and ship interactions, I don't know. But I mean, for what it is right now, if a sub is on the surface, it's detectable at roughly 5.6 to 6 kilometers, which means it's a low detection DD, or it's a very low detection DD. Um, if you go down to periscope depth, it drops to like 2.2. .2. And then yep. if you go down to max step, it drops to zero. Yep. So in terms of in terms of detection, yeah, a submarine can out detect like a gunboat DD. DD has seven kilometer detection. You've got a sub that's a one kilometer difference. You can spot him. He can't spot you unless he charges you or whatever. And if he charges you, just go to periscope depth, and you can keep him lit, and he's in big trouble because then he has to not not necessarily because when you go to periscope depth, your spotting changes from surface detect to aerial detect. And that seven kilometer detection DD might have a 3.4 kilometer detection aerial. Now, if he shot his guns, that might that, be that, an that, aerial that, blue. That, yeah, that, that's the best case. Uh, yep, yep, keep going, sorry. Yeah, so surface on surface, there are some DDs you're gonna outspot. There are some DDs that are gonna same spot. Some DDs will outspot you, depending on what you are and what they are. Okay, you get spotted. You don't want to get spotted. You go to periscope depth. Now you see aerial detection. That does allow you to spot carriers way outside of their ability to spot you. Surface detection or, or you know, placement on the map wise. Uh, battleships, absolutely, you're, you're in control there. Cruisers, yes, because a cruiser's probably got like a, a six kilometer detection. So yeah, you know, you can slip under the water. You can see them. They can't see you. But destroyers, not necessarily. Because a destroyer's aerial detection is going to be like 2.5 to 3.5, give or take -ish. Some have really crappy, and it goes out to like 4. <laughs> now, when you look I was at say it... it depends on the DD, but yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, like, you're just talking basic numbers, right? So, if your DD has hydro, yeah, there's some hydro that only goes to like 3 clicks, like on a daring or some lower tech DDs, yep, etc. Navy, vamp, vampire as well. But you've got some that, that really, that, that hydro doesn't suck. That Hydra goes out to four clicks, five clicks, six clicks in the case of the Z-52, six clicks in the case of some cruisers that are high tier, um, which means that if the sub is, you know, groups into the water and wants to spot you, air detection, say, 
you get within three kilometers of a, of a DD with hydro, yeah, you might be able to spot them by their air detect. They turn on hydro and you are lit. That, that's, you are detected. That's, that, that's not beyond a doubt, but I'm oh, And then, it's, it's yes, more... they can dip down to max depth, and then it's is the DD within two clicks of you or not. Yeah. And currently, subs are getting team spotting when they're at max depth, which is a relatively new innovation. Uh, I think it's a little. I think it's a little powerful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I personally preferred, you know, max depth is not necessarily something that gives you an extreme amount of capability. Max depth is more about, you know, evasion. It should be uh, a survivability. Evasion. Yeah, that's that's how I tend to see it. So my mind doesn't necessarily sync up with that, but it's in testing. Stuff changes, yeah, look, you you see what happens. It, it does. And my, my biggest issue with max depth and um, going full speed, even if the sails in a daring, I've got hydro, um, th this destroyer underneath the layer is making so much noise like that it can get evaded is just phenomenal like in, in terms of real real world aspect thinking but um sure you, you'd think that as as they're detected they would want to dive as deep as possible and be as quiet as possible but most most of it is you get rewarded for being as noisy as possible and getting away as fast as possible yeah, I, I would think my surface ship would leave its radar on all the time, personally. Well, yes, you know. yes. So I mean, there's that too, right? <laughs> yes, and, like, we, and, ra ra it. and radar goes, it doesn't go through islands. We won't touch that one. <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't? It does in World of Warships. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think that World of Warships has long since straddled the line of historical accuracy in terms of how certain game... It, yeah. uh, gameplay elements are implemented and not that this is a bad thing because at the end of the day this isn't a simulator no. I'm, I'm not you know sitting here my iowa could hit people at 30 miles yeah no that that'd be stupid you know <laughs> so there, but there's there's actually a really good reason for that part partially you know we have an arcade game format and mm. i'm gonna be honest after i started playing well after i started working well one i worked too much uh <laughs> Um, and then two, I mean, my head is literally in people, you know, saying how much they dislike this or dislike that or love this or love that. Like my head is living in world of warships seven days a week, many hours a day mm. that it would be nice to play something else. <laughs> and yet I found that having a roughly eight to 13 minute game that I can invest in, have an early mid and a late game is really a great bite-sized experience that if I just want to do a thing, but I don't want to like commit to a thing. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that the, the size of the experience in our game is like spot on for something that's just like, I have a little time, I want to do something recreational, and eh, maybe if I want to play again, I'll play again after. So I can totally like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely get behind the, the, the format that the game's hitting. I just wanted to put it out there that uh, there, there's a lot of there there's a lot of people who believe that the game should be balanced along more historical lines in terms of both uh, tech and and ships and i just wanted to something that i've always championed because i was the same way back when i played world of tanks and then i did like freaking nine years of world of tanks and i and sure. i towards the end of it i i learned that it's a lot more exactly what you said. It's an arcade setting. 
And I very much agree with you. I, I like the pace of the arcade setting and I, and I like the setting overall. Um, you know, there, there's nothing better than uh, back, back when I was playing World of Tanks like nuts. I could boot up my laptop and I could do one game of World of Tanks and that could be five minutes. Yep. Bada bing, bada boom. There we go. Yeah, and I'd still have as fun. So there are many you know, games I, like I, I, I at the moment when I'm not streaming, I'm playing a game called Kingdom Come Deliverance. If you've ever not heard of that, give it a look. See, it's fun. Um, but good game. Good game. It, it doesn't have save points. You have to you have to have Oof. a special potion to save. Or if you hit key milestones in the game, it will auto save for you. Or quick interactions with key people. It's like old or console if, games. Correct. Or if you find a bed, there are, there are beds everywhere. But you can save at any point by using one of these potions. But the thing is, you, it's not like you can fire this game up, go, I just want to explore here. It's, it's like, say you're playing Witcher 3. You can quickly play for 10 minutes, save and leave. But this one, you, you have to really put aside 30 minutes to an hour plus to really explore a little bit, do things, and then find an auto-save without you having to use one of your limited saves. Mm. And that, that is one of the nice things about World of Warships, as we said. Um, it, you can get in for a game or two. Um, you're having fun, keep going. Or if, if it's not fun for you or your time's up, you, you go do whatever you have to do. And as you said, it's hit that time margin quite well. Uh, just to circle back to the Destroyer versus Sub thing, because uh, I, I did read Sapper's question in your brief, and uh, yep. it was fairly detailed, so I don't, I don't want him to feel like he was shortchanged. Um, Major difference between subverse DD. You know, you got six kilometer detect versus six kilometer detect, and you're on the front line. You're both on the front line. You got a cruiser two, four, five kilometers behind you. They've got a cruiser two, four, five kilometers behind them. You know, you guys butt head. It's high noon. The other DD could pop smoke if he's scared. You know, I, I don't want to get shot. The sub has automatic smoke. You just pop into the water. Sub ideally is going to take, uh, you know, if he gets some HE shells that come in and slam him, you know, more of his health pool is going to get nailed than the DD, theoretically, maybe. Uh, <laughs> hey, although, I, have, I have seen they, Torp only Marsos out there in randoms, believe you me. They're, not. they're, pretty, they're pretty tanky. <laughs> uh, but I, I, have seen, uh, I have seen a replay, actually. I think this was sent to me by you, Griefer, where you were a DD on a flank. Your team was not performing so well. They were they were taking more damage than they were given. Throwing and there was a sub that was kind of pushing, and you kept not having, you know, you kept not having a posse behind you to be like, if I want to force this situation, you're going to get hurt. It kept yeah. being, if I'm going to put myself in in problem or if I'm going to put myself in danger, it's probably just going to end bad for me. And it was like great, and you kept having to back up. You had like a monster game, did crazy ass amounts of damage you got a whole bunch of kills or whatever it was a loss because your team got owned but still it, it, it was really frustrating to be in a situation kind of like if you were against a shimikaze you know that you could you could charge the shima if you really wanted to forcibly spot him and either force him to smoke or know that you could force action against him however the hell you wanted to do it but being against a sub you know he has an auto out so it's like I can't guarantee that I get rewarded for this, 
So I, I think just that, have I to think back that's up. The, yeah, I think that's the frustration that players have. Your example of a Shimakaze spot on. If you're in a um, DD that has hydro, or even if it's like um, yeah, any other one, but you it can, is you could still charge that smoke and engage him or drive him off against it's, the sub. He's got the counter to dive, reposition, and um, you could be in trouble. It is still a little analogous, though, of a DD going against a cruiser. Where a DD has a six kilometer detect and a cruiser has a ten kilometer detect, and if the cruiser is like, I'm not in a position where I can, you know, press against this DD, force him into a situation where I can spot him through hydro or run him up against a wall that he can't, you know, evade me or something. If you are in a position where you don't have that posse, you don't have those people behind you that you can't make this play in good conscience, the answer is, well, shit, and you got to back up. And it's tough to be in that situation, and it feels really powerless to be in a situation where you are quite literally underpowered compared to what the enemy's bringing, and you got to back up. But there's synonymous stuff to this in terms of like being lit and being lit being the danger that it is. A cruiser can do it to a battleship. A DD can do it to a cruiser. A sub can do it to a DD. It's different, but I mean, it's kind of similar in some ways, especially if it's a gunboat. But, but but then what does it do a sub? Well, currently, because they're right now, if you take subs out of the game, what does it to a DD? And the answer uh, is nothing. Although uh, you could kind of say carrier. You could say but... carrier because the, the DD has to be careful. You could say carrier other DDs based upon your detection um, radar. That there's a there's yeah. But a if you're going to say other DDs, then the answer with the sub question is just well, then you say other subs. Well, so that, that, it that has to be good. a different interaction than that. Like if we're going to keep it analogous, I, I think that the one thing that it, again, if subs are removed and we're going back to the DD thing, it's it's good and effective vision. I think that is really good at zoning out DBs or uh, sorry DDs. My, my um, so I'll, I'll quickly interrupt. No, you go. So just, go. just with the train of thought, my, my fear for submarines is they're going to turn into another type of who's got the better sub player um like like it is of who's got the better cv if, if i've got a sub player that understands these mechanics and can play them well um if you if one team gets a sub player that goes oh look i've got a sub but i will press w i will rush the four bbs i shot off two torpedoes i got one hit i got blapped ha, i had fun i go back to port and the other team sub dominates and gets like a 2k base xp game because we're seeing some of those now um, yeah but you do that with dds now but there's still one they're, 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 walk but, in. but that's they're a DD. There, there is, an enemy there DD. Are, as, as we said though there there are counters to dds for vision if you're a sub and that the best counter is another sub it's like cvs if you've got a cv and you've got literally a unicum that farms and wins well in one the other one is a bit of a I play, but I'm not very good. Generally, you know which which team's going to win, and that is my fear for the submarine class as well. That it's going to be dictated by who has the better player in the in that class because they will turn it into a ship that no one can counter. I mean, as a guy that's played in Hurricane, uh, and kind of studied the game, and as a guy that has I mean, I don't run with my Hurricane team in surface ships. Do I feel capable in them? Yeah, I can be capable, sure. But I don't run with them because I don't have all this stuff etched into my muscle memory in the way it has to be. I don't, I don't 
run the numbers and get the correct results automatically. And you have to at that level. You have to. And when you put a hurricane level uh, DD and they take a wide flank and there's an enemy DD, they kill them. And then they farm the battleship behind them. And then they outplay the cruiser that's between them. And then they do other stuff. And then they get a 1200 game and they take a cap and they do all sorts of crazy shit. Like, yeah, but when you put the high end player in there, especially in something that can control a front line, absolutely. You can have a, a high end player in a cruiser. And I think because the cruiser has more, it's spotted a little further, it's dunked more by battleship shells. You know, it's a little it's a little harder for a cruiser to just like walk in and say, I own this flank. I kill everything I want to kill because it's got some pretty natural scariness to it. You can kind of have some analogous uh, with that with a battleship. Like if you got a battleship player that just doesn't miss. It's it's a bad time, but especially like when you get a DD that knows what the hell they're doing. And I don't know, like North America, for instance, is really, really big on this. When you go into ranked situations, you get flooded with DDs because DDs own the front line. They make the decisions. They make the plays. They choose all this crap. And if they die, they die on their own merit. They don't die because they got outspotted by something else or they get blapped by something cross map. Like it's I, I've, I've got a, I've got a counter to that theory. I know this is um, sort of going off agenda, but why I play DDs in ranked is sometimes I play cruiser or BB. And if it's a DD heavy game, I get frustrated that I've taken a shot or two on a DD, a cruiser, or a BB. It's four minutes in, and your team has lost two or three DDs. And it's like, what? Sure. If, if I get two or three games in a row like that, I just go, not even bothering. I'm going to go play DD because I'm Yeah, getting if they can't do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Correct. And I think that is a lot of the, the why we see a lot of DDs and good plays in DDs because they get frustrated if they get lumped with a poor DD player. Like I had, there's a guy in 07 um, that, you know, he used to be really active in my Twitch and uh, started to kind of drop against me with, as a CV player because he enjoyed the challenge. He enjoyed going back and forth, which is cool. Um, back when uh, Richthofen was new, because it's got light, light health planes, uh, Smolland was still new. And I mean, Smolland kicks ass. <laughs> so he would play a Smolland, which means he would kill the enemy DD. And then he would farm everything. And if I tried to deal with him in a, in a Ristofen, he would just kill planes and not die. Yep. So I couldn't stop him. And nobody on my team could. Therefore, we just had to completely ignore him and try to kill everything else faster than he killed all of us. Because that's how powerful somebody that owns the frontline uh, interactions is. And I, I realize that's where the, the, the fear comes in if we're adding a front line to the front line and that subs then people are going to take the extension of i know what a dd can do and if we take that and we put it into a sub and the sub has even more tools for safety and we don't have like five or four years of radar and hydro and other counterplay options that are anti-sub and stuff in the game yet I mean, what the hell is going to stop this from just owning everything's face? And I, I recognize the terror there, but it, it still takes the awareness of like recognizing why there's the terror there, and it's because DDs are extremely important. Just saying. 
Right. That's okay. Hey, look, uh, 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 look, as you said earlier, they are a work in progress. So mm-hmm. at, this is only for as they are now. But it's it's an interest. It was an interesting question from um, the viewer Sap, and that's that's why we want to include it because it wasn't it's a, a good dude. It was it was a good view. It was a unique view. Um, it wasn't about their weapons. I didn't even bring up how come we're not seeing the Soviet submarines as we did in the first test because I've always got a um, bit of a. Um, Cannot wait hat. for the Typhoon class submarine. Uh, Let's I, go. I, I have a tinfoil hat of everything gets balanced. They release it, then three months after the subs come out, the Soviet subs come out, and like Nakamov, they're completely broken for some obscure reason that no one tested with. Because when they first came out, they had the longest range torps and the slowest rate of fire. This was then, but they had the highest alpha damage torpedoes. So I remember I was a CC when Nakamov was in testing. And I'm pretty sure I was. I don't remember when it came out. I think that came out before I before I, I joined up. Let's just and, say it did. <laughs> yeah. So Nakimov had had heals on all of its planes because it doesn't have health, whatever, right? Yeah. And the heal got removed, which is correct because the concept of the one attack is like if you lose planes, there's less damage incoming. It's a very direct AA interaction, right? And there was I remember on the CC Discord, it was like. You're, you're completely killing this class. This class will become unplayable. You have to have the heal, or else there's no way you can interact with the surface ships. Like, <laughs> And then, what? okay, so like the feedback channel was just filled with like, it's unplayable, it can't happen, it's impossible, there's nothing that can do, you've completely broken it. Okay, so the available deck spaces for all the different craft got bumped up by like six to eight or something planes. So suddenly, instead of having like two squadrons worth, it's like two and a half squadrons worth. So you send out some, you lose four planes. You send out some more, you lose another four planes. You regen one or two. And then like you've got an entire third full squadron coming out. And I don't know if if additional stuff got tweaked where like maybe the skip bombers got dropped a little further out or something like that. But well, we all know that the Nakimov doesn't really get punished by AA. It might, the planes might eat flak on the way out but they certainly don't get owned on the way in <laughs> because they drop so darn far away. I, 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 wish, like, I wish I could share a lot of the NDA things that I've asked over the past, but because the NDA, I can't. But I, I've got a personal bugbear with Nakamov, and to all those Nakamov players that listen in, apologies, but I have a real issue with that CV. In, as a uh, Griefer, can I, you are can not I tell alone. you something quickly? <laughs> sure. So I, I know you have great displeasure for the Nakamov, but I, I, I feel compelled to let you know that I've actually recently attempted to learn CVs, and I'm going and I uh, for thank you for th- th- thank, data. Th- thank you for buffing my PR and all these CVs. Yep, I also uh, got my way up to the Pobieta, so I will have a Nakamov soon, and we will have fun times on stream. So Ooh. there we go. And speaking of CVs, I must thank one of my viewers again, John. I, I have an FDR. If anyone's unaware, I, I have a, 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 a small a small amount of steel still sitting in my armory of 115,000. I own every steel boat, and I've bought bought plenty of steel camos. And one of and when someone made me not made me they spent 2000 bits i put a steel camo on my fdr and i have a rule that i'll play the fdr live on stream because i don't like cvs for 10000 bits and yesterday john spent 10000 bits and lo and behold i did come last in my fdr but i got a win so thank you john for that woot 
<laughs> By the way, I can't. I, I don't play Russian ZV because they, <laughs> they just they make me extremely angry as a player because they are so slow and they are so limited in their attack angle that I find it to be extremely frustrating. <laughs> Plus, I don't, I'm not a damage farmer by trade, so it doesn't fit me there either. I actually also have a very, very funny, well, interesting CV story uh, this, uh, for this week. I believe it happened last Friday, so not this past Friday, but the Friday before. Um, I'm currently in school for A+. I'm trying to get my 1001 <laughs> and my 1002 done. I know yeah, you know story. where I'm going. It's a pretty, it's pretty yep, good yep, story. You do. This is a great story. So um, it's all virtual right now because of COVID rates at my school. So uh, I'm home. Uh, I'm very, very interested in the in the course. So I'm I'm a good good I'm a good distance ahead of a lot of my classmates. Um, so every so often I allow myself just a rest day, you know, where I, I, I show up in the call, I, I go through all the motions, but my brain's not fully there and I don't do as much work as I could have. So, um, harkening back to the beginning, the, not this past Friday, but the Friday before was one of those days I, I got in, I told my teacher, I'm like, I have zero drive today. It's Friday. I'm I'm not doing anything. And he's like, that is entirely fine. So a little bit of backstory. I talk a lot about naval history, and my teacher is also interested in naval history. Um, so <laughs> it eventually came up. He asked me, uh, do you play World of Warships? So I, I said, yes. Yes, I do. I, I gave him my name. He gave me his name. And, you know, we 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 div occasionally. We'll we'll hang out. Nothing, obviously, we keep our relationship professional. We, you know, we don't do all that much outside of school. Um, but, you know, we, we, we interact around the game. And like I said, recently I've been learning CV. So I've been playing a lot of like Ark Royal. I've been playing Bairn. I've been doing Lowenheart. And I was doing Serov as well. Because I, I don't want to thrust myself into the tier 10 pit. Because I, did, I didn't think it was a good environment to learn in. So at the end of that Friday, my teacher pulled me aside at the end of the day. And I thought, you know, I, I did something wrong. You know, when you, when you go through that checklist, when you get called out. And my teacher pulled me aside and he was like, oh, so, you know, I, I know you said you weren't doing anything today. And it was kind of a rest day. Uh, but I just need to ask, did you just kind of check out and play games? I was like, yeah, I, I, I told them I've been learning CVs. And he goes, <sighs> um, okay, that's good. Uh, do me a favor, though. You might want to try and find another class to play because you're not good at CVs. Because he had pulled up my Wouse number page. So I got stat shamed by my teacher. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that's brutal. It that was. I, I... <laughs> don't suck in my class. That's amazing. That, yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. He was like, I don't, because he's, he's a, a New Mexico enjoyer. He has like 700 games in his New Mexico. He really likes tier six. He's like, I don't want you on my team and I don't want you on the other team. So don't play carriers. Do me a favor, get up to tier eight. So I only see you occasionally. And I was like, you want to know what? You're very upfront. Fine. I'll, I'll, I'll go up to tier eight. <laughs> Cause I lost the exchange. What am I going to do? What? 
I, I have no I have no way to come out of that situation on top. I've lost. Terrible. That's a funny story. Funny story. But um, moving on onto the agenda, we, this patch we have seen the return of uh, brawls. We we had a three day brawl nine v nine with uh, CVs. Currently, I think it's going for about a week or nine days. Brawls back on. It's a nine v nine. No CVs or submarines. I know from a lot of other Twitch streamers. Um, they're, they're, they're exclusively playing Brawls because it has no CVs or submarines. Um, <laughs> so, th I, thoughts on the Brawls? Um, do you play Brawls solo or queue? And do you have a preference for a boat? I have been doing a metric shitload of Brawls for this week. I love the last season of Brawls, uh, and I'm loving this season of Brawls. And that mainly goes back to what I said at the beginning, where it's the, the social interaction that I really enjoy between yeah. myself, my friends, and my clanmates. So obviously, we'll nine stack in just stupid ships. So we, we had one where it was like four GKs, and the rest were just good and loose. <laughs> and some poor, poor conqueror came within range of the good and Liu ball. And I have never seen a conqueror disappear faster. And when he got hit by all of those airstrikes and, and just stuff like that. I love it. I love it. It's so much fun. Uh, and that's actually something that I, I really wanted to stress is that brawls are something that I don't think anybody has any problems with. No. It, it's a really fun <laughs> mode and it allows you. Oh, I, I assume there are, but I'm. Yeah, I, but it's a really fun mode. And I, I wish that they would come back very frequently. Will. I am a community manager for Wargaming, which means that people let me know when they do like something, and also they let me know more when they don't like something. And this... prior, <clears throat> the prior 9v9 brawl that we had used to be called Clan Brawls, mm -hmm. but uh, this one, this one uh, the clan got left out, and I got to hear stories about an all 07 div, which was like an FDR, and then eight Stalingrads. So the FDR would fly to the other side of the map. <laughs> and bop, there goes three people. And then the Stalins would reload. Bop, there goes another two. <laughs> and then the Stalins would reload. Bop, there goes another one. And to the clans that were, were queuing up in this, it was a shooting gallery. Mm. To the people that were solo queuing into this, it was like, what on earth is this garbage? <laughs> Oh, we, we, so. that's actually, that's a very good point because I know Bonks as a community got uh, a bunch of interesting forum and Reddit posts yeah. made about us because we stack like nine Smolensks. Yeah. And then so, people were like, okay, how do we deal with this? Yeah. And, and yeah. It's like the movie Fargo where like somebody's getting pushed into a chipper shredder. It, oh. it was not okay. You know, it <laughs> just. Like I like I said earlier, you know, there are comparisons between EVE Online and World of Warships. World of Warships is a merciless place. You are not here to make your enemy have a fun and engaging time. You are here to murder face them, <laughs> to make highlights for yourself and your friends. And that is exactly what happened in the prior brawls. So I took that feedback and I made sure to contact relevant people and say repeatedly, please... <laughs> Let's not do the nine div against the bunch of solos that are just gonna get mauled. Well, like, can we try? Funny, can we try to that. like 
do Wait something where it's div v div or you know the nine stacks are going to be against like you know five stack or less versus stuff like just just something and, and Wait. They did. They they came through. They revised the logic. Uh, I think it's more likely nine stacks go against nine stacks, but also uh, the smaller divs are kind of power weighted a little differently. So actually, there's been a lot of people posted on the forum where it'll be like nine solos and then like four divisions. And it's like, what? Why are there four divisions on one side? And it's because brawls have a matchmaker rating sort of thing to it. The more wins you have, the more "quote unquote" you know, the higher your rating is. So the solos have a high enough rating that divved players are given like an assumption of a little extra power because they're divved. So the extra power off the divs makes up the difference to allow the matchmaker to make a match. Which people are like, "What the hell is this?" But that—that's the reasoning for it. But yeah, much much better reception this time around in bronze. Wait, wait a I, minute. I, wait a minute. I I I don't think I quite follow you, Ash Chance. Are you saying I'm part of the problem? With uh, nine stacking Gudenlius. I'm not it, saying you were part of the solution. That well, is saying I'm part of the problem. Well, <laughs> I, I, I must say, I must say, us, uh, my, my fellow clan. You were the solution to the conqueror. We, we, we <laughs> came up with something a little bit more diverse. We did a nine man clan div, but we, we took on at least national flavors where we took out four Bourgogniers and Henri and maybe three Clebbers and a Marceau. And my, my biggest complaint is when you finish a game and you may have wiped a div of nine or nine solo plays and you go back to pause, like, you have been reported six times. <laughs> <laughs> that I, has to go from brawls. I have actually lost more karma uh, playing the first iteration of brawls than I think in any time period playing WoWs. And that wasn't due to the Smolensks. That was a friend in and myself got intoxicated and we played we four stacked Kabarosks. and this, this is the first one again there, there were cds so what we would do is we try and help our team or we, we'd be we'd have a you know a, a majority members of the team members in our division we we would kill everybody and then the Kabarosks had to ram the cd and if they were unable to pull that <laughs> off they had to take a shot so I, Ooh. yeah, I don't remember. is what you did. I woke up upstairs on the couch, and I I don't even remember going up there. So I don't know how I got here. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I just that's kind of hilarious though. Bumper boats, yeah, sure. Oh, but, it was it was incredible. Um, I must say, like overall, I think the maps are okay for these brawls. At least there is no two brothers. Um, but Asgant, you initially said they used to be called clan brawls. They initially started at 3v3. And I feel the rewards for 41 victories really isn't there for timing. The fun factor's there that you don't get subs or CVs. You can just meme around in boats. But if you're going for a reward factor alone, I honestly don't think they're really that great. If you doubled all the current rewards, I'd say, yeah, go for it. But... 10k coal after 41 games, 60,000 elite commander XP, and a couple flags. I, I thought that was pretty low. So, two things about that. Uh, clan brawls back in the day were like legit, you know, 7v7, 9v9, 12v12, whatever. Like, that w- it was large. And then they went to the smaller brawl format with threes yep. and twos and ones and fours. And, um, but 
So this is something that as a community manager, I've had to learn. So this is, you know, illuminating a little more behind the curtain. What do I do? For me, I mostly focus on uh, forums, uh, behavioral concepting, feedback relay, uh, basically temperature checks, mood stuff, being yelled at. I do that a lot. <laughs> um, but part of a community manager and also the producers that we work with in our office and, and also exist in other offices is that we'll create events, you know, to fill little gaps, you know, cause you'll have, yep. you'll have a main overarching event for the update and people will do it and they got some downtime. And one of the things that's fascinating and I'm going to relay, forgive me, I talk a lot. So, you know, you can always edit the crap out of, out of me, but um, there was a study done on kids back when you could do studies on kids. Because that was a thing, you know. In, finally, they did studies the on brainy. <laughs> uh, I'd scare the scientists. It'd be like um, Jurassic Park, except uh, with me just screaming in a cage and probably well, inebriated. So they had like little kids, I don't know, three years old or something, right? And they'd just give them a piece of paper and some crayons and they'd say, can you draw me a picture? And then the kids would draw a picture. It's, oh, that's so nice. Can you draw me another one? And they would do this until the kids stopped wanting to draw pictures because everybody's got a limit, right? And they, you know, notated how many pictures did the kids draw. And then they had another group of kids where they said, if you give me a, like, if you give me a picture, I'll give you a quarter. Oh, that's cool. I mean, to a kid, yeah, quarter. Oh my God, I'm rich. That's like, like I, I've seen quarters on TVs. Yeah, whatever. So the, they make a picture, they get a quarter. They make another picture, they get another quarter. And they found that kids would, on whole, make more pictures because they were being paid. But as soon as the, the incentive disappeared, as soon as the, oh, you know, I don't have any more quarters, but I love your pictures. If you just make me some more, that'd be great. I would love them too. Nah, I ain't doing that. Because it's, it's, like it's it. quite literally like going to work and not getting paid anymore. Yep. Like the, the head completely sees the activity in a different light. And we have the exact same issue with free-to-play gaming where players come in and you're going to have some players, they just play the game. They hit the button, they play the game, they had fun. They don't give, they don't care at all about how many credits they got or XP or whatever. Eventually, they'll have played so many games that they can play the next ship if they want. Okay, cool. But they're not paying attention. They don't, they don't maximize returns and profits. None of it. They just play the game. And then you have folks that literally play the game because of events, returns, maximization of profits, etc. That is... That is their their quarter for the painting, right? And as soon as the event dries up, the combat missions dry up. If there's no external stimuli, like they're in a div and their div mates want to play, but you know, there's not like, well, I don't have any events. They'll they'll play for the div mates. They won't play on their own. And I even asked a prolific player, if I gave you a test account with every single ship, every single achievement. Every single thing that's available in this game, if I gave you this test account, what would you do? And he's like, well, that's not real. No. If I did this, what would you do? Well, I mean, there'd be nothing to do. I guess I'd make a new account. And it's like, it's, a, it's such a different, it's such a different thing to just sit down and think about that. Why, why do I give you this big story? Because when we come up with events, there's a monetization department and every, every single event has to be submitted to monetization for review. Is this an okay amount of rewards? Do we need to increase it? Do we need to decrease it? Blah, 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 whatever. 
because like the child children with a quarter, they get used to a quarter. Well, if you start dreaming up events and you start dreaming up giveaways and you start doubling and tripling and quadrupling prizes, et cetera, and that quarter starts turning into 50 cents, but then it actually turns into like $5 for a small window of event where it's just all piled together. Well, then suddenly when the $5 dries up, they don't want a quarter anymore. Now they want like $3. So it's actually, it can be actively damaging to the perception of how a person can play the game to just throw dollar dollar bills at them because then they'll suddenly need more uh, of a reward structure in order to feel like the game is even worth playing. And that's super dangerous. It's scary. It, it, can, uh, it can be in the brawls, but look, looking more at the events in the last months and late last year where we had the dirigible derby and the convoy mode there weren't great rewards for that but those modes and we bring convoy back i'm pleased to see one of the devils yep. let's go um yeah, I, I love i love the tier factor i love the changes i haven't put that in this um podcast but i love that the convoys are going in three different paths so it's not as straightforward like i i actually really think that was and there were there weren't great re rewards for that but it, like um for but me sometimes it's just fun yeah, it is. And th those modes are fun, whereas brawls for me feel still a lot like work because, look, I play the game, I play it on stream, I div up with people off stream, mm -hmm. there's clan battles. So to get me to get involved in something like brawls, it feels like work. And for me, I look at the rewards and as you said, for me, it's just not worth my time considering I've got a so lot of So what you're rewards. saying is that if we added a mode without CVs or subs, that isn't enough impetus for you to play the game. You still need more in order to want to play the game. Well, <laughs> yeah. And the only I, reason I, I, I make that point is because it's often repeated on a forum. If you just make a separate mode, everybody will choose this other mode and the other thing will be completely gone. It's like, it's just, yeah, it's you've, not, you've, it's not real. You've got to realize with brawls, like I love the derby and the convoy because they weren't time gated the brawls is time gated so i'm i predominantly stream three of my four main sessions in the wee mm. hours like 5 a.m eastern time to about eight or nine eastern and brawls and ranked are time gated. Yeah, time, time gates are rough as hell for oceanic and i i, I really hate time gates and i'm going to make another rant about that <laughs> i, I really i want so i i don't have a lot of ram as a person like i don't have a lot of just like I don't keep all sorts of little nicks and knacks and stuff in my head just constantly. I'll remember specifics and details, especially if there's a story to it. But I work very well in the format of, you know, when people are really frustrated about something, they'll talk about it a lot. That keeps it, that keeps it current, that keeps it relevant, it keeps it on the top of the list, right? And it sucks that I don't have as many folks that are oceanic that are just that I constantly interact with, constantly talk to. Most of the people that I constantly interact with have acclimated to the point where it's like, it is what it is, I just play the game. But, yeah, but, but that, that, the time-gating just... on ranked, the time-gating on brawls, the time-gating on events, like the uh, the Santa's, you know, the yep. four snowmen thing, right? That, that annoyed like, me. Um, but look, I, I've actually got viewers who are in a US state of Hawaii. <laughs> Their time zone's literally the same as mine by a few hours. And they, they get home from work and rank shut down. And they, they go to bed, they get up and rank. And like, I, I put in onto tickets on their behalf and the reply is, and it, it wasn't an, 
it wasn't it was in a non-NDA, but it was like basically we have it up for 16 hours. If they can't play within those hours, too bad. And that that is such a punch in the guts when players have to hear that. Like they try, they want to get involved, but but look, that, that's, that, I was in Germany. Uh, there was a lot of the... things. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, uh, just just as a follow up, I had the same problem even when I was in Germany, which is a mere mere in, in the global sense, six hours ahead of where I am right now, Eastern. Um, I, I had a lot of things where I would play, you know, the, uh, in the in the afternoon for me, in the morning to the afternoon, which was usually about midnight to to about 8 a.m. And there was a lot of things there that were still kind of wonky to get access to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like our our server at peak and I, I mean, I'm speaking for North America because that's my server. Yeah. Our server at peak is like 13 to 16K people, yep. which is a lot of people. And, you know, we pay a lot of attention to queue times and try to keep it so that when you hit the button, you get into a match in a pretty, pretty good way. Um, and there are, uh, there are queue relaxations that happen after X amount of time. I think it's two or three minutes that it kind of softens the queue. And then if you hit five, for instance, it'll queue dump. And like the low point on the server, we might have something like 2000 people, which is a pretty drastic difference. It is. Uh, now I've, I've been told that old ranked, like before I started playing or whatever, old ranked, if you wanted at, if you wanted to play ranked at three 30 in the morning, because you woke up and God bless you, you just wanted to. Well, then you could click the button and you could sit there for two and a half hours waiting for ranked. And well, if enough people showed up and you met a ranked game, cool, you play, everybody plays again, you play again. You know, so it, I, if I people want to wait, you can do that. But we I, just, we just went ahead and, and stopped that possibility because we had an experience expectation. And unfortunately, it's just, it results in a lot of frustration. And, and I don't know, man, it, I, I have I, to I, wonder if maybe we could do something about that. But I, like I, I played in the old ranked, I streamed it. And yes, the first week there'd be no one in the bracket five to one. But by the time you got to out of six or seven weeks, by the time you got halfway through, I, I, I'd be streaming it and it'd be um, 4 a.m. Pacific time. And my rank queue would be three minutes. So usually would be one and a half to two groups going. And I would even think, even when a rank sprint starts now and everyone's in bronze, there should be no time gating in the bronze league that you'd have people that would be available for that first week or two week. That would be 24 hours to be enough people in bronze alone type thing. But uh, look, it's, it's my bugbear. I think the time gating of eight hours or six hours is, is too long to have it shut down because... Well, what I'm trying to say is, as a community manager, this is shit that's important. Uh, the way that I view my job, because I guess you didn't... You, I, you didn't ask me, hey, what's a community manager? But just to give you like... Just to give you and the viewers, listeners, kind of a vibe. <clears throat> community manager is the contact point that goes both ways which I find is very frustrating to players, for instance, because players want me to be like, hey, I'm taking your side. But often, when I'm trying to explain something, I'm explaining company to player. But then when I'm on the other version, I'm explaining player to company. So it's like I'm always taking, it's almost like devil's advocate in a way. You're always taking the opposite side because you're trying to translate information from point A to point C. But what I'm trying to say is, uh, as a community manager, I want to represent the folks in my community. I want to take care of my players. Don't mess with my players. <laughs> uh, 
And that means that if this is a real and genuine pain point, and it is, I just don't hear about it a lot, that it's very important for me to hear about it so that it can constantly stay, this is something we got to look into. This is something we got to work on. This is something we got to work on. And maybe it doesn't affect EU very much. Maybe it doesn't affect Asia very much. Like primary user base, maybe it's, it's perfectly fine for them. But it does affect the US because we have Oceanic, because we're English, primary English. And I know that's a pain point in terms of, you know, primary English speakers going to SEA sometimes have some frustration because there's communication barrier. And then also we have EU players that play on NA partially because they were in the NA and they moved to EU because business or whatever. And then you have other people that they have friends. So it's like we have this large window on the face of the earth that we have to cater to. (laughs) And one of the things that's a core designing principle for us is we want the game to be the same on any server that exists. We want our game to be the same on NA as it is to EU as it is to Asia. We don't want differences and variations and subtleties. We want it to be the same. The only difference might be like NA opts into an event that Asia didn't opt into, in which case, you know, the Easter egg hunt exists here, but doesn't exist there. But it's like functionally the game doesn't change. Yeah. But if NA has a real and genuine actionable pain point, we tried, we moved the, we moved the, the time a little. I think we changed it by like an hour to try to help. But it could just be that it's a big enough pain point that honestly, it got to be sound in the horn each and every day, each and every week, et cetera. Just reminding this is still something we got to focus on. It's still something we got to focus on. And maybe there's not an answer, but making sure that it's consistently remembered. Got to keep this on the front front of our mind. Got to keep this on the front of our mind. That's how that's how movement happens, because this is a company is a corporation. I mean, there's, I don't think there's thousands of people in World of Worship so much as like hundreds of people, although maybe it's over a thousand all told. Um, but still, like, you gotta, it's gotta stay on the forefront to be addressed because there's just so much to chew through yep. that if it's not on the forefront, it's really easy for it to like, you get oh, you forget. on the priority. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That I can understand. But um, yeah. Just I'll, I'll quickly touch on brawls before we move on. I, I actually still think overall I, I have played a lot more brawls this session than I thought I would have on stream. I've divved up. I've I've joined Greeny. I've joined S Triple C. I've joined the Jedi folk. Um, there's been lots of people I've played brawl with. So I actually think this brawls format is a win in my book overall. I've heard some very good things. I've heard some rough things. I've heard like solo queue players that get dunked by divs. You know they're obviously not excited about that. I think the second iteration with the changes to divs has been much more palatable. I've heard much less backlash or the people that got really messed over the first time, just like, hey, not touching it. Either way, it's been it's been much better received. And also, personally, like I I read a lot of feedback. CVs and subs are frustrating. I understand, especially subs are still <laughs> in testing. And I'm happy that there is a readily available mode other than ranked. Ranked can have CVs in it, but there's a readily available mode that people can play in that gives them, you know, the surface ship only quote unquote experience. Although it's not technically true randoms in the sense that, well, one, it's not random because there's skill-based matchmaking with the win thing. And then two, the ship matching 
is like weird voodoo. <laughs> Four destroyers on the left, one destroyer on the right. Woo, you know. Yeah, but, but uh, I, I, I don't mind. I, I don't. I don't mind that aspect. Um, look, this this is one thing I like. The game's an arcade, yes, and it tries to be fair. But look, you could have a battle where you have in real life. Yeah, it's real life. Can't use that as a comparison. But no one's going to go out into a. A naval battle and go it's not fair you've got 12 ships and i've only got four as you attack me like <laughs> so, so, sometimes it's more of a challenge if the other team's got two if you've got two bbs more dds or more cruisers um you're giving up some yeah. hit points but you've got some other versatility you might have hd spam or a nose tanking or Moscow that can wreck a battleship it's up to then the player's skill to make that difference ideally each of our ships are balanced to the tier so a tier 10 ship should be roughly equal in terms of mattering to a tier 10 battleship should be roughly in terms of like mattering to a tier 10 DD. Obviously the way they play, the way the influence rolls out in a match completely different, you know, depending on what you're doing and what the situation is. Yep. But in terms of like power level, we would really like when a player joins the game, they're expected to show up and be a player, not show up and be the god player or be the terrible like the the little thing like you show up and you have a player worth of ability to go forth and do player stuff in but in terms of your like people complaining about feeling oh well this doesn't feel fair they, they do <laughs> it's a thing <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there but look i'll, I'll bring up something that we're, we're running across or not we but wargaming's running across all three of the main servers we've got spring championships it's being held at naeu and the sea server clusters um it's a lot it's good to see a competitive mode again um this is my feedback um I, I, obviously through my stream and I, I think I'm now in over 260 discords believe it or not there were a lot of clans on NA that did not even know this event was being held and they did not even sign up not talking about my clan but I'm talking about other clans that historically have signed up they were unaware and it was on the main page but the feedback I had was they didn't get an in-game message and previously to COTS they used to get an in-game message and I know this isn't COTS but um I think we saw it on NA. We didn't last time on COTS. We had over a hundred teams, but this time we only saw about sixty to start off. Mm -hmm. um, in but, NA, yeah, yeah. Is it was it lower across the board, or was it pretty consistent? Or if you're not allowed to answer, that's fair enough. Uh I well, I mean, you could tell by how many people played because I think they just take whoever comes. Yeah. Um, I think EU had more folks than we did, and they had, yeah. I think, 60. And because of that, we didn't have a first weekend that kind of, like, weeds out people. Yes. We just went directly into, like, group stages and then playoffs, which is this weekend. Um, yeah, it was advertised less. I mean, it came at a time where there's a lot of stuff going on. And because yeah. of that, you know, there's... When stuff's going on and there's other priorities and there's there's just... When stuff gets complex... Stuff gets moved to the side because you got to deal with the complex stuff. And as you know, I personally, I really like competitive in this game. Uh, I think that learning and interacting with competitive is extremely useful in getting an understanding of how to play the game out to the audience. Uh, I remember actually when we, me and Bogsy did our first King of the Sea, um, I was kind of like, talking about map movements and, and stuff like that, because as a CV player, I'm constantly staring at the mini map and Bogsy actually kind of took a step back after, after casting several games and being like, 
honestly, I'm learning a lot about the game right now because he had always played from like a player perspective, not necessarily from a map reading perspective. And so much of competitive is that. So I see it as extremely valuable, but the core game is, you know, it's the audience getting into random battles, derping around, having fun, blowing stuff up. And that's always going to be the primary, unless of course we get to, you know, we come into like an esport where we've got teams and stuff that are sponsored and stuff, which would mm. be a dream. <laughs> hey, we have one of those in the EU. Yes, and that's amazing. That is absolutely effing cool. Uh, because a lot of esports teams look at, um, like esports teams are rather sponsors look at it like, you know, honestly, you could pay for a radio spot that's $40,000 and you're going to get on the radio for approximately like 55 minute blurbs or something. And you'll get a return for that, sure. But you could drop $50,000 into an esports team over a three-month period of time that's, you know, pimping Oreo cookies for X amount of time as they go in and do stuff. It's like the 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 money to to return is huge here if you've got an audience for it. And the fact that we had somebody buy in on an EU team is an amazing first step. Because it shows that teams and folks that are willing to invest money have recognized there is value in this. May not be fully understood yet, but there's value. And the sooner we get in, well, the cheaper it goes because the people that adopt first are going to pay the lowest. But I mean, the fact that it happens at all is brilliant. And I really hope that team wins. I, I don't actually know the name. I think they're paid. I think they changed their name to paid. <laughs> no, I thought they um, were, they were Pen Penta G GG team. Oh, Penta. Penta. That's right, because they're repping the, the name. Right. Um, I really hope that they utterly dominate EU because if if we've got a team that's willing to put money on the line and you know pay a stipend to the players or pay a salary or whatever they do, and those players are going to step up and perform and wreck then that means that whatever uh, brands Penta is talking about or repping are going to get that visual notoriety, et cetera. And again, it's like, if I'm going to take my advertising dollars and I'm going to throw it on a Google campaign, which may have no traction, or I'm going to put it literally in front of people that are going to see this name over and over and over again, one's just going to have much more lasting appeal. And that's how this stuff starts. That's how like the grassroots builds this stuff. Hmm. But um, I... I I'll move on to predictions quickly. Um, EU predictions, I'm actually going to say Penta GG. In a way, after your spiel there, I hope they lose so that we get another team buying <laughs> in that goes for the winners. But no, I'm going to go for Penta because Sneaky Snake, who used to play in, with APOC, in APOC with me back in the day, he's abandoned us on NA and he plays predominantly on EU now. But Didn't he win COTS on both servers? No, uh, yeah, he. I believe he did. That was one of his claims to he, fame. Or Him and Dastard, I think, are the only two yeah. that have done that. Yeah, but um, he 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 doesn't play much on the NA anymore, which is uh, fair enough. Boo! <laughs> Do you guys um have any predictions for EU or? Uh, I don't have any prediction. Uh, I'm too busy doing what I do as a community manager, which is like feedback, behavioral stuff, etc. I I just I don't know. Bogsy keeps pretty on top of these things, but that's part of like he's more involved in the competitive side as a community manager. So it's tied into what he does. If I was like, if we had an esports department and I became like an esports caster and it became my gig, then I would need to learn all this stuff. But oh, for right now, 
Nope, I'm, I'm totally derp. I'm going <laughs> to give you and Greeny some names. There's Silk, there's Penta, there's Rain, and Dog 2. You have to pick, you have to pick someone. Who's going to win on the EU? Uh, I like dogs, so we'll go with dog too. I don't know. I don't. I don't follow European competitive. All right, my, my, interaction, got dog my, inter- too. my interactions with Europeans in terms of WoWs is um, just interacting with them in the, on the on the WoW server, which either leads to a pleasant conversation or them calling me a colony, and then me mentioning that America got to the moon first. So uh, you know it's. <laughs> you, wait, wait till you see the Asia clan names you're going to pick. So you've gone with Dog 2. Asgard, yep. are you going to pick anyone? Uh, if I recall correctly, Rain is the reigning champions, but I could be wrong on that. Ooh, uh, good there. Yeah, Rar. I go for the puns. I go for the low blows. And then uh, I'm hoping Penta takes it because I really want, I, I would love esports folks to be like, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. Yeah, that's but I think Rain is. Known well, but I'm rooting for Penta because I'm rooting for esports. All right, moving on to NA, we've got um, 07, and then they're uh, playing now their, their their second most competitive clan in QQ7. Uh, <laughs> and then we've also got Bonks, who Greeny sadly is a member of. And Bonks then is going to win. That's all I'm going to say. We've got the Kill Still family. Um, so Greeny's going for Bonks. Askans, do you have someone that you would like to root for? So I, I did put some thought into this one. Uh, I actually come from KSC, so I understand them. They're good dudes. They're they're very good at what they do. Um, however, 07 has a history of like, I mean, using the fact that they're known as 07, they pick the uh, they pick extremely high PR individuals. And for those that don't know what PR is, that's a stat that's an outside stat that basically tracks average damage, average kills, and oh, also win rate, but not very much. (laughs) Um, That means that they're going to, one, they're going to put themselves in positions where they're going to deal damage. And then two, they're going to land the shots and deal the damage, which means 07 has a really good history of trading and attrition. So they may not take early caps, they may not take early positions, but they'll tend to wear down their enemies to where their enemies cannot defend the caps and positions they want to take. So it might take 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but then they'll just move forward and take the map because they'll have beaten the crap out of their their enemy and have moved them back. Um, I think, I personally think anybody would be foolish to not have 07 as the assumed winner. but. That being said, they haven't been, they haven't won the last two COTS. And that stands out. That's not a joke. KSC, honestly, like it was a little thing here, a little thing there, a little something else that we're able to slip them into the winning position. But 07 looked really powerful on like four out of five of those games. Not a joke. And it just took that one little like gust of wind not being there that suddenly 07 took it. I mean, o- KSC is very powerful. Bonks is powerful. If it comes down to KSC versus Bonks, I believe KSC, but that's partially because one, I come from literally playing with KSC, and two, I believe when it comes down to which which tends to win when like encountering clan battles. I think KSC wins more often against Bonks than vice versa. But this championship's going to be a different world. 
My belief is it's 07 VKSC in the final, and I don't know where it goes, but my bet is 07, not because I don't love KSC, but because I respect 07. Yeah, why? For, I think for Marks me, is going to win every game. So. For you, for you. Um, <laughs> I, I, 07 has such a good track history. Um, QQ7, um, I know a lot of the people in QQ, and they've even got some ex-Kraken members, so I, I would root for them. KS have got a great team. Um, last time was a heroic effort to come up through the winner's bracket, then the loser's bracket, and then j just that amount of time that they had to do to put in uh, to win a yeah, lot. It was like was 17 a, games in a row. It was a heroic effort, but I'm, it actually, was gonna, huge. I'm actually going to side with Greeny, and I'm going to go with Bonks. Just Whoa! Because, Whoa. Do, you know, do, you, do you know why? Do you know why? Bonks is one of I these teams. I do not. <laughs> Bonks is one of these teams that they do weird crap they do it off the off off the cuff off the wall type thing that it's just not going to sit there stale they're, they're going to make a play they're going to get try and get a kill or do something really weird with a ship composition or a tactic and when it works for them they can wipe the floor if it doesn't work they're out very quickly but when it does work for them i, I reckon they can go through to the final and win it the, the other thing, I, I, I do have uh, an, an actual reason. Other, Well, it's sort of a reason. It's superstition. Oh, you got uh, secret, than, secret documents here? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I have all the secret documents, but Ooh, no, I'm not okay. putting the secret documents out there. No, what, um, the main reason that uh, the, uh, a big common joke internally is, um, I, I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of interacting, uh, interacting with Addison, um, but he is a wonderful individual that scientists aren't quite sure how he works um because like there, there's been a lot of times apparently during brawls and clan battle season where addison is either physically injured or put into a very very stressful situation and instead of caving he seems to do a lot better than expected and addison it's in one of those swings. So I think that Bonks is going to come out roaring. Um, there, there's a, a lot of internals talk going on now. I, I, I do think that Bonks is going to come out roaring. Obviously, KSC and 07 are still going to be contenders in all seriousness. Um, you can't... Nothing set in stone. That's what I really like about these finals. Um, you, you have the creme de la creme. You have the best of the best. Um, so I, I don't want people to think that I, I don't think 07 has, has talented players. And I, and I certainly don't want people to think that I think that KSC or, or any of the other clans that happen to make it have bad players. He, he, he thinks this, he thinks this. Who? Well, yeah, but I have to, I have to be nice on the podcast. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. The outside thought came uh, or the inside thought. Oh no. Who did, who did Bonks play against today? Because I think we casted one of the games, but I mean, I, I just I can't remember off the top of my head. I but think who it, did Bonks it, play today? It was one line, and give me. Two I've, I've got no. You've got one line, and you beat NAC. No, NACL XPN two zip. XPN. Right. Okay. Yeah, XPN. Uh, were solid. XPN had one, maybe two mistakes. Both of them were kind of early. And it was steamrolled off of, which is good to hear. It's good to see because uh, Bonks had some solid, solid positioning, solid concepts, and solid movement on exploiting weaknesses. So that was good. 
that's definitely indicative, you know, indicative of of thumbs up. What was the second match? Because we did not cast that one. Uh, they had Bonks versus One Line, which is the old five D split, and they won that two zip. Okay, I don't know. I don't know One Line. I know five D sort of just because I know them from like Hurricane Clan battles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But- this this was the old main five D group. They they split off and they created a new clan called One Line. Okay. Well, all right. Well, if they if they two owed them as well, I I obviously didn't see it, so I don't know how to comment on it. But yeah, um, I don't know possibilities, man. KSC could could get dunked by Bonks. It's it's very possible. KSC tends to get a little too in their own head, and if Bonks does come through with some surprise situation, you know, just hey, didn't expect that, or one one broadside that comes in that just connects nastier than it should it is very possible that that disrupts kind of a pre-established strategy or a pre-established movement pattern or something like that um yeah definitely could happen Um, i think that that's a very good point because a lot of these when you get to these higher skill levels of play in both wsc cots clan battles there's a lot of times where you can look back as a team and go okay this is where everything went south when mm-hmm. this player did this, when they, sh- you know, did X when they should have done Y and so on and so forth, which is why I, I think that what makes or breaks a team this late in the game is how they are in response to events such as that losing, yes. a, lo- losing a DD in an early bad trade yeah. or somebody gets farmed out or something, how, how a clan responds to that makes or breaks them. Because obviously if you have a, well-established plan and everybody knows it and can execute it very well and the game transpires the way that your plan is built around that is still a very kind of good way to go about it but when you get up to the at the the lower leagues but when you get up here it's a lot more it's a lot less rigid it's a lot more flowing which i i for one really appreciate and and look we we will be seeing a games of five which i would have loved to have seen from the quarterfinals but i do understand in terms of casting and time it may not be workable but i'm glad to see at least for the semis we're going to see games of five so Mm. someone at least has to get to three victories to proceed yeah we're uh we're going to be doing that tomorrow um, I think on the stream today we had some sound issues because we were doing it in a different. We we spent a lot of time on Friday setting up the sound, trying to make sure that it was clean on both ends, etc. And then in the middle of the cast today, we got notified that we had to send our audio to a different source to have it returned in a different way, and then that caused a delay. And then we were using a substandard mic to do it. And it was just like, it was an interesting ball of cats. It sounded it but, sounded like the person was talking through a sock underwater and it would, it would dip and dive out. <laughs> How do you know what that sounds like? <laughs> well, I'm in Australia. We, we're from, we, everything is underwater down here. Apparently. But could you hear us? Me and Bogsy, could you hear us? You would drop in and out at times. It was really, yeah, Aww. it wasn't, it wasn't great quality for the, wow. That's the, re- the replays were nice in the bottom left corner, but the sound overall was pretty poor. Hmm. Well, we spent, we spent a fair amount of time cause, uh, we're all, we're doing it all in one room and Sea Raptor is an explosion of sound. Uh, Boxy is also, and that was the initial problem for us, which is why we had a Yeti 
in the studio, which was just kind of like it was a room mic picking up me and Bogsy. Yeah. And then we had a uh, we had a a plug in or something that kind of like pulled out the room noise. But it was I mean, it was like robo weirdness. It was not great. Um, and when we started using uh, a more high tech piece of hardware, we went back to single micing each other and it worked out well. But having four people in the same room, granted, we're on opposite sides of the room, was causing a lot of issues because even though we were like 30 feet, you know, 10 meters, maybe more than that. Yeah, like 10 meters, 10, 15 meters away from the opposite side of the room, even like a lavalier mic, the, the other two casters, they were just coming through clean as day. And it's like we had to do something. So we came up with we're going we're gonna to have one side of the room. Or we can have the other side of the room. We're not going to have both. <laughs> and we'll just, we'll mute the left half. We'll mute the right half. That's what it'll be. And we we went to, um, we initially had like an overhead mic, like you might see in like a TV movie or something, you yep. know, where they're holding the thing above. And they had that on us, me and Bogsy. And then who it's got like, to, well. Who got to hold the mic? Who was, who was the lucky oh, no, it's, on, it's on the stand. It's on the stand. <sighs> uh, so we ended up getting lavalier mics. And then we used that because it was a better sound than the headsets. We used the room mic because that way Raptor is just, he's got so much power that we time delayed Raptor so that his mic worked with the bleed through coming through Zath. But when Zath would get excited, the time delay would work against it going the opposite way and it would get seriously super weird echoey. So we went, okay, let's take the overhead room mic and let's mic these two. And it's a good mic. It's a quality sound, et cetera. So it's like it got dialed in and is to a T. But we're using outside cameras. And because of that, we needed to send uh, the way to, to help the outside cameras know, like, what are the casters looking at? What are they trying to highlight? What are they, et cetera, is to send the caster audio to the director you know the guy that's actually cutting camera one camera three camera five camera this camera that etc because like we're trying to make a good quality competitive uh concept and it's a process in the making sure but like people do it in nascar people do it in football it's not like it's something yep. we can't do they did, they, just did need... a, they did it on eu when i was watching yeah. it last night they had about six or seven people all talking at once but then again they all weren't in the same area like paints or stats sure. like obviously on their own pcs and... yeah they've got the casters off site and then they've got the folks in the room and they're all kind of individually mic'd and stuff yep. uh we are working with a different setup and we don't have as much uh tech really as yep. a built up stuff like we don't have a special in-house audio engineer for it so we were you know we we got it to where it was working it was good etc but then suddenly we needed to send not only the video of what the caster was looking at so that the tv crew could kind of like riff off of it we also had to send the the voice there so they could riff off of it and then they would send us the tv feed but when they sent us the tv feed it also included the audio in the tv tv feed so we cut off our clean room mic and we used the weird fishbowl mic <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> that we was, used to, you know, to talk to some dude in discord, you know, when he calls in for like part of our weekly stream or something, which, so you guys got that. And then there was the time delay and the, rah. so it, it was an experience, but the good news is it wasn't the finals. No, so it no. sucks that it was not up to snuff, but it wasn't the final. So we, we know what we need to fix. 
That's fair enough. And but quickly moving on to finals, we've got the SEA server. We've got two clans left in the winners bracket final. Now I've picked one. That they we got two winners. Now Greedy, you've gone with Dog Two from EU. But the the, the finalists on SEA are Cats versus Vor. Panzervor have been around from the get-go. My, my choice will be Vor, because like I said, they have won a lot of the competition over the journey. I am a massive history nut, and I specialize in armored warfare, and I Panzervor, I'm going to assume is something anime-related, at least in the, in the context of the clan. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll go with them. I'm a dog person. I don't like cats. <laughs> they don't like me. Highly technical choosing there. I have heard of Vor, therefore I assume Vor is a name that I needed to have heard and should be respecting. I would assume Vor will do well. Yes. I love it how like <laughs> there's a lot less uh discussion over the SEA and the EU region, but the well, second I we get to North America. Hey, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying there's a lot there's the, there's a, a, look, a noticeable difference. The, the meta the discussions. is the meta is different. I watch the EU. I watch the SEA one. There's a lot more downies on the other servers than what we may see. No, it is, and that, that's actually something that I, I I love about this game. And it, it was the same thing in World of Tanks. The, there's variety from server to server to server, which is something that I love. Forty the, minute warning. Just saying. Hang on. But yeah, that sums up the Spring Championships. We're moving on now to a bit of history, and we're going to look at the London Naval Treaty. This is something that Captain Greeny's been looking up, more so around the Second Naval Treaty, and how it actually, would you say, hamstrung the, the, the eventual allies in the Second World War? If you want to give us a bit of history on that, Greeny. So the history of this is, uh, for those of you who listened to the last episode of the podcast, Griefer gave me homework. And <laughs> much like the student I am, I left it until the last minute because my brain kept going, hey, I've got time. I've got, oh, there's no time. Thankfully, unlike math or algebra, which is also math now that, God. <laughs> I, I have knowledge. I have knowledge. That's, that's fine, dude. Um, I have a knowledge base on this, so I can actually fall back on this quite comfortably. Um, I don't know if you would like to do a little bit of an intro introduction there, Griefer, as you did type up something nice in Discord, or if you'd like for me to just ramble until no, I, I assume one of you cuts your ears off. Uh, I'll take the excerpt. This is from the wiki, Wikipedia. So the London Naval Treaty, officially the Treaty for the Limitation and Reduction of Naval Armament, was an agreement between the nations of the United Kingdom, Japan, France, Italy, and the United States that was signed on the 22nd of April 1930. The purpose of this treaty was seeking to address issues not covered in the Washington Naval Treaty from eight years earlier, and this which had created tonnage limits for each nation's surface warships. The new agreement regulated submarine warfare and further controlled cruisers and destroyers and limited naval shipbuilding. So uh, everyone ratified these agreements, but not everyone upheld the agreements. Go, go on to how people... Um, I'll let you go on uh, from here, Greeny, on so, how people didn't really uphold these treaties. 
So there were many different schools of thought on how to cheese the navel trees because you have fallen off the turnip truck if you think governments are going to follow international agreements, especially during this time period. Um, there were a lot of... <laughs> so so there, just, it, just to give people background, the treaties oh. were that you could have X amount of battleships or cruisers of certain tonnage and certain mm. gun calibers. So you were meant to limit your... And each nation had different rules. Like Japan had to have, was it two-thirds or two-fifths of that of UK? Um, so they saw yeah, they, that. They, yeah. So there, there was, that. that's actually a very good point and a better point to start off um, at, is there was a lot of, there, there was a few different subcategories. The people, there are people, the two nations who got off the easiest in terms of the Washington Naval Treaty and the London Naval Treaty was the U.S. and the English navies. Um, the U.S., during the talks was initially just like, screw you guys. I have two coastlines to defend. I need a boatload of shit. No pun intended. Um, the Royal Navy is like, oh, oh yes, but we are the Royal Navy and we have to be the biggest and best in the world because we were. Um, and they, they also fell back on uh, they needed to defend their empire. So they also argued that they had a large amount of coastline and, and waterways to defend. Um, the other nations in in the Washington and in the London Naval Treaty, the the big players such as Japan, Germany, and France. Um, Japan was still very much coming out of um, an era of seclusion. It wasn't anywhere near as bad as it was when 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 uh, Perry rolled up, but it, they were still very they they were, they were still very much. Uh, just starting to leave the nest. Uh, they're, they're coming off a war with Russia, and then they had the, the First World War, where they went and politely asked Germans to leave their, I think it was like two overseas um, charges. Um, so they, there, there was a lot of talk at the talks about how Japan didn't need that big of a navy because they just needed to defend your, their coastline. Germany, the, oh, the justification... They, they, yeah, they were limited yeah. the number of ships anyway by the Versailles Treaty. Yeah, G Germany was like... Or the, the, the naval treaty with Germany was essentially like, congratulations, you can have two destroyers. Don't start another world war. Have fun. Um, and then France, it was kind of cut back because France being... France was butting heads with Germany and Italy as well in terms of, of, of naval shipbuilding and, and, and naval ships. Um, so the first treaty ended up with a lot of quote-unquote loopholes in them. Uh, so we get to the second treaty, the London Naval Treaty, which, uh, like Griefer said, put in a lot of restrictions and a lot of guidelines on um, tonnage and the amount of tonnage allocated for each type of ship. You know, you had a certain amount of cruiser displacement, you had a certain amount of uh, battleship displacement, so on and so forth. Um, a lot of navies ended up building around these restrictions initially. And by initially, I mean when the ships were kind of being built. A lot of them later on during construction or later on during the planning process actually chose to take really one of two paths. One, uh, the, the British, which the British are very famous for, um, they had a lot of scapegoats that they used 
Um, for instance, the water and the stores not counting for displacement on <laughs> their uh, ships because, hey, we, we have to go to the Pacific. You know, we, we need these stores. And if we have to take up more of our tonnage with stores, that's not very fair. And so people are like, all right, fine, that makes sense. Um, but there, there were also a lot of countries that kind of just lied um, yep. I, the, I, I, the U.S., I must admit, were very honest. They, they adhered to the treaty with their shipbuilding, um, much to their detriment with um, early war, some of their designs. Yeah, a, a lot of the, the, the treaty limit cruisers that the, that the U.S. built, or treaty era cruisers, were not the best. <laughs> Out of all of the, I think it was 10,000 tons for cruisers, heavy cruisers, uh, during the London Naval Treaty, out of all of them, I think the, um, the French Algier, Al Algerie, the the I think it's the Tier Seven of World of Warships, is argued to be the best set of all of the treaty era cruisers, just due to the um, the gun caliber, the the different weapon systems it carried, and the the speed the ships were able to uh, obtain. A lot of the U.S. designs weren't that far behind if you just looked at it from a perspective of, okay, these are ships that actually fit within the naval treaty limits. Uh, because you had Germany who went hog wild and just decided, ah, yes, we're going to build hippers. Trust me, these are 10,000 ton cruisers. No, and no, they, 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 built, they built the Deutschland class cruisers. Yeah. That, then they put battleship guns on a cruiser. So there was that kind of um, gray area. Well, there, or, there was... There was that as well. They they also lied about the displacements of those. What, what I'm getting at is, is there there was a lot of lying in 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 Germany, or they would oh. use like the completely and utterly unladen weight as the the combat weight. There 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 were workarounds. Yeah, that, like that. That, 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 that's that's the work the big workaround. I know Japan did it. So if any of you have done a dockyard mission, when when we get to the animation in the game where the ship leaves dry dock and is actually floated into the water, a lot of nations were saying that was the completed tonnage and might have been say. 10,000 tons at that time. But by the time you add guns, all the armaments, all the radar, hydrant, all the other fixtures, its displacement could be 15,000 tons. So they've registered as being a treaty-era vessel, but they've blatantly um, gone past it once it's been fully outfitted. Mm. The, the, the Japanese are, are quite famous for the Megami's because uh, the, the the Megamis were also uh, incredibly well built cruisers, at least we thought they were. Um, but early on, after they had initially been launched, uh, now we know we didn't know it at the time, but they had a lot of structural weaknesses in mainly towards the stern of the ship. Um, they had a tendency to buckle hull plates going at uh, top speed. They also tended to uh, toss screws. Uh, and a lot of other things along those lines. And, you know, obviously when war break out and everybody said, you know, screw the cruisers, uh, screw, screw the limits, they, the, those ships were immediately taken in and everything that was needed was remedied. And, you know, plates were strengthened, um, stuff like that. And the British actually did the same thing. Um, also with the Nelson that I don't think as many people know of as the, the provisions, they, the initial turrets for the triple sixteens were much heavier than what the Nelson and the Rodney launched with. Um, but to make 
that golden limit for their for Britain's 16 inch gun armed battleships, they ended up taking a lot of structural elements and and uh, other assorted machinery out of the turrets as well, which led to them having issues during firing trials and 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 pre-war gunnery things. Obviously, like like with the Megamis, the Second War was declared. The turrets were rebuilt back up to what they uh, what they should have been on on the onset. And a lot of the uh, issues were alleviated in, in that department at the very least. The Nelsons had other issues, but um, I'm just rambling again. So yeah, guys- but my, my my main question is. In the end, why do you think it was as as a treaty? You had the UK, the US, that basically followed it per se, and it was ratified by the League of Nations. But why was it so ineffective in the end? I think that it was so ineffective in the end because, like I've like I've been saying, that the people just lied, and there wasn't there wasn't cross checking. There was no, yeah, there there wasn't there wasn't any any repercussion. Uh, well, it wasn't even that. There wasn't. I don't think there was any. And, and again, please, if, if you are more knowledgeable than I am, please reach out to me on Discord. We went over last time where to contact me. I, lo- I love talking about this stuff. I, I don't believe that there were, uh, Amer- say, American naval architects in German shipyards going, okay, yeah, th- this adds up. Th- this would be this. <laughs> looking at the plans, because that that would be like the 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 Russians showing us the, like the Belgrano or whatever. Um, I forgot the name of the newest nuclear submarine they've launched. They've been like, all right, yeah, here you go. See, this is exactly what we said it was. Cause that's not going to freaking so, happen. So, so in essence, it was a treaty that was basically unenforceable. It was really self-governed that, that you, and you, if someone got wind that you're building a cruiser or battleship, you, you'd lie or you would fudge the data as they all seem to do. So yeah. It, there, there was a lot of that during during the pre-war period and during the the London Navy Treaty, uh, London Navy Treaty period. Yeah, it's it's, it's still very interesting, and it, it would have been easy, like towards the mid thirties. I can't remember. I think one or two nations did leave, or either that. I, I'm I just think thinking. Italy left first because Italy was like, "This is this is fucking stupid." Yeah, and we, then, we then they just could expand their dumb, their. We, their production yeah they want and and they started launching a lot of they they were their main adversary pre-war uh was the french and the french as as we see in game they had a lot of big large caliber gun arm destroyers fast destroyers and the italians were like we can't fucking deal with this with the tonnage that we have allocated this is stupid we're not dealing with this anymore and then they started launching all of the larger designs that they had been working on that they just hadn't built and then <laughs> france is like hey wait a minute they're doing this now we're going to start building up as well and it, it 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 i think that a lot of these treaties fueled the very thing that it was designed avoid. to stop which was the naval arms race yeah um granted it wasn't to the same degree as as like the uk ending world war one with like freaking 50 dreadnoughts you know it, it wasn't anything to that degree but it, it was still there there was still a lot of naval one-upsmanships well yeah if, uh, you had, your, if you had limit you and you were trying to build a ship you'd try, try and put the best technology the lightest technology mm-hmm. that was redundant in that it would be workable without it would work without failing type thing um 
but yeah, well, I must say thank you for your your history brief there. Um, I must say thank you again to Askans for joining us on tonight's podcast. Roar. <laughs> Um, I, I know it's I been a busy day for. I know it's been a busy day for Greeny with landscaping and the spring championship. Same for us, Gans. Thank you all for listening. Hopefully, you have enjoyed the podcast. We will see you again next week. As we announced earlier, it's now gone to weekly. If you do need to reach out to myself or Captain Green, we're on the forums. We're on the Discord. There will be an email that you can reach us on in the description for the podcast. So please do not be shy to reach out if you have any questions. Um, thank you all for your time, and we will see you out there on the seas. Goodbye. Next week. Bye.